0: If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. Sunday mornings we've been going verse by verse through Luke's Gospel, and we're in the 21st chapter. We just began there. If you do need a Bible while we're turning there, you're welcome to lift your hand up. The guys have a couple here in the aisle. They'll be happy to give you a copy so you can follow along with us during Bible study this morning. And this morning we're actually going to celebrate communion together as well. So what we'll do is uh, look into our study for a little while, and then we'll stop the study a little bit short and enter back into worship and celebrate the Lord's supper together. This morning we're going to look at Luke 21 uh, beginning in verse 12 and then go down through verse 24. And if you're turned there together with me, shall we stand together in respect for the word of God <coughs> as I read our text for scripture. <coughs> Luke 21 beginning in verse 12. Jesus says, But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience possess your souls." But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. And let all those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And Father, we lift before you the word of God this morning. And Lord, we humbly ask for your Holy Spirit's assistance to both prepare us to have an ear to hear what your Spirit would want to say to this part of your church that's assembled in this place this morning. And that, Lord, we wouldn't hear wise or persuasive words of a man, but that we would each this morning experience that demonstration of your Spirit and power taking the Word of God and making it alive and personal to each one of our hearts. Lord, bless your Word. You know what we need and exactly what we're asking. We want to continue now in worship by receiving the ministry of your Word by your Holy Spirit as our teacher. So speak to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, is it possible that as a Christian, it could actually be God's will for us To suffer that life wouldn't be easy that our times would be difficult and that by God's design it's intended for us to suffer to be mistreated to go through hardships and difficulties well I think in some ways that depends upon whether or not we want at least for us this morning American Christianity or we want biblical Christianity American Christianity would probably convey to us, absolutely not. We should be healthy, wealthy, we should be prosperous and comfortable. And and by all means, isn't that a part of the American dream and somehow God's dream too because he's blessed our great and wonderful nation. But yet biblical Christianity tells us really something different. In fact, listen to this verse from First Peter chapter four, verse 19. It says, "Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful creator." Peter says, just prior to that in verse 16, "Yes, if anyone suffers as a Christian." Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. In what matter? In the matter of suffering. And of suffering particularly as a Christian. So the Bible tells us in two places there in First Peter, a letter written to suffering Christians. And if you find yourself in that place, that's a great letter to read First Peter because First Peter is written to suffering believers. It tells us there that we can suffer according to the will of God that it is the will of God actually to suffer at times as even one of God's children, and that we as Christians, when we do suffer, it says that we should commit ourselves to the Lord and that we should seek to glorify God even in the matter of our own suffering. Well, really, that's what Jesus is addressing, if you notice, in our reading this morning. He's talking to the disciples in this teaching, and he's talking to them about suffering. And again, so important for us because, again, this American concept that we have, especially in the culture that we live in, everything in our natural humanity grates against the reality that it could possibly be, at times, God's will for us to suffer. Tragically, there are some who teach heretical doctrines that the Christian shouldn't suffer and that it's not God's will and we're in sin and have a lack of faith if we do suffer. And sadly, these things press upon us and they cause us to have a wrong concept. That it actually could possibly be part of God's design for us to go through difficulty or hardship or struggles in some ways. you know, We wouldn't admit it, but quite honestly, there were some of you this morning that as you came in here and realized, Oh great, we're in the gym with metal chairs. Oh, this can't be God's will. Now, I didn't meet in here purposely for the sense of trying to create an object lesson for a passage like this. I met in here, quite honestly, because I was an usher for many years at Calvary Chapel of Vineland. And because we're sharing communion, it's a lot more practical to distribute the elements with you sitting like this than the way we typically are. in the nice, comfortable auditorium with padded chairs when you guys leave like 10 seats in between you so that you can spread out like typically we like to do. We're Americans. You know, we like our space, whether it's real estate or Uh, sanctuary seating so uh, but it's much more practical to pass the elements up and down the aisle so you're suffering this morning for Jesus sake for sharing communion together I just am sorry for that but uh, again we're like that you know And, and this morning it seems Jesus really hones in on that again Jesus at this point we know is in the middle of his teaching often called the Olivet Discourse The second longest teaching of Jesus we have after the Sermon on the Mount. And it was given during the last few days of Jesus' earthly life, prior to his crucifixion. It was prompted, remember, this teaching we're looking at in Luke 21, also recorded in Matthew 24 and Mark chapter 13. The Olivet Discourse prompted the teaching because of events that happened between jesus and his disciples remember jesus is in the temple area and as he's there with the disciples it says they began to point out to jesus remember uh, the significant and incredible structure there of the temple itself it was magnificent the splendor of the temple structure was really astonishing to behold and remember we're told that jesus's disciples they were drawing his attention to the temple saying master did you see the temple? And again, no, he didn't, but the idea is, did you really take notice of how beautiful and incredible this facility is and how wonderful it appears? And again, it says, they said in Luke 21, verse 7, how it was adorned with such beautiful stones and costly donations. And it was indeed, as we talked about last week, if you weren't here in our study, it was indeed an incredible, incredible temple that was built Beautiful, huge stones, white limestone overlaid with gold. I mean, this thing was an incredible, gorgeous facility. And they were quite impressed, as most people are, with this amazing temple structure. And they were drawing Jesus' attention to it. At which point, remember, Jesus then declared the second time that that temple and the house of God would be dismantled and destroyed. Remember, he said to them there, In verse 6, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So Jesus said, what you are so incredibly impressed with and enamored by, Jesus says has no lasting value. And secondly, it's intended, it's on God's time schedule for that temple to be completely destroyed and completely dismantled. At the shock of hearing that, their minds started stirring and they start to ask Jesus, remember a series of questions as they hear jesus say the temple is going to be destroyed they start firing one question after another at jesus a series of questions which we have in luke 21 verse 7 and also again in matthew 24 and mark 13 which are synonymous accounts in the other gospels and we know that they're asking jesus a series of things first of all when the temple would be destroyed When's this temple going to be destroyed and what will be the events preceding that? And also they had asked Jesus, Matthew 24 tells us, what would be the signs of his coming? The signs of the return of Jesus and the end of the age. So Jesus is addressing a number of different questions in this Olivet Discourse teaching. We saw last week the first thing Jesus addressed were the signs of his coming and the end of the age. We talked about that last week in verse 8 through 11. Now, in our verses this morning, Jesus is speaking about events and times that will precede the coming destruction of that Jewish temple there, which would happen just 40 years after this time historically in 70 AD. And then he will go back in the remainder of the teaching, which we'll look at next time, and he'll go back and again begin to then speak more about end time events and the second coming of Jesus Christ in the latter half of the teaching. But this section, verse 12 to 24, Jesus is talking about the events that will precede the coming destruction of the Jewish temple in 70 AD and what to expect leading up to that he's informing his disciples what is on the horizon and he's also going to instruct them how to respond in light of the difficult hours that were ahead for them as believers look with me in verse 12 Jesus says before all these things they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. So Jesus is informing the disciples, his followers, that a time of severe religious and civil persecution was right on the horizon. And Jesus, being God, knowing what was ahead in the days in front of him, is forewarning his disciples, whether they were enjoying hearing it or not, listen, you need to be aware there are very difficult days on the horizon in the days in front of you. And those times of religious and civil persecution were going to come, and Jesus repeats multiple times in this section here that this would happen. Why? He says in verse 12, And in other places, he says, for my name's sake. In other words, Jesus is saying the whole reason you are going to suffer and be persecuted and mistreated and harshly treated by those in the world around you, he says, is simply because you follow me. Because you're associated with me, because you represent me and stand for what I believe in, Jesus says you must be aware that you will experience great hardship. And he tells the disciples where that persecution is going to stem from, and he says from the synagogues. In other words, it would, it would stem from the religious community in that culture who would then accuse the disciples, followers of Jesus, they would accuse Christians of being Problematic. And being troublesome for the present society. And as a result, they would say, These followers of Jesus, these Christians, they're problematic. They're going to cause trouble in the society. So they then turn them over, it says, to the civil authorities. He says, You will be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. And in the early days of church history, there was a tremendous wave of persecution that happened throughout those early days of early church history. In fact, statistically, it is said that during the first 250 years of Christian history that over 6 million Christians were put to death. Now again, we think about the huge numbers of Jews that tragically died in the Holocaust and that's horrific, it's horrible what took place among God's people, the Jewish people. But yet, as well, the first 250 years of Christian history, there were over 6 million Christians that were put to death as well as a result of these early waves of persecution under Diocletian and various emperors that came that brought down great pain and problems in the lives of people. And Jesus here, notice, however, verse 13, he assures the disciples, though they're going to suffer great persecution, he assures them, Amidst that, that something beneficial would come out of the difficult days ahead of them. He says in verse 13, yes, you will be persecuted, but verse 13, it will turn out for you as an occasion, he says, for testimony. So the persecution, the severe mistreatment would be something that God, however, would use to create an opportunity to share with other people around them as a result. And despite what they were dealing with, the unfortunate things that happened to the disciples, it would create occasions to speak about the Lord in ways that never would have come about if they weren't suffering the things that they were. And Jesus says the pain and the problems and all the persecution, it will actually create a platform whereby you can speak the truth of God and share the gospel with people that you will be brought before, that you never would have been brought before if you didn't go through, The persecution and the painful times and the problems that they would endure during that occasion. So Jesus is telling the disciples, listen, look for these opportunities to testify. Look at this as a divine opportunity to testify for my namesake. And when we read the book of Acts, we see many instances of this very thing Jesus spoke of happening. Where there was persecution, but yet the persecution then translated into an opportunity to testify. Acts chapter 3 and 4, you see Peter and John. They're used to heal a man. They begin preaching. They're arrested for it. And as a result of that, they find themselves placed in front of the Sanhedrin where they give testimony to the gospel message of Jesus. Again, in Acts chapter 5, you see them imprisoned again for preaching and brought before religious and civil authorities. And they have an occasion and opportunity to testify. Acts chapter 6 and 7, remember Stephen who is there, it says that Stephen stands up and he has an opportunity before he is stoned to death to testify to the gospel message and to share Jesus with multitudes of people right before his own martyrdom as the first one to be put to death among the early church and then later of course we have Paul the Apostle in the latter portions of the book of Acts who through his ministry and his faithfulness to the gospel finds himself before remember Felix and Festus and Agrippa and possibly even historically at the end of his life before Caesar himself having an opportunity to share the gospel and to testify of Jesus because of what he went through. And the thing to note by way of application is this, what terrible events they experienced and what hardships and problems they went through became platforms to speak about Jesus and to share the Lord with people. And such is often true and a part of the Christian experience. You know, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 50 that God takes what is intended for evil against us and he uses it for good. I love this about God. He is a master chemist. And God can take poisonous, toxic things that happen in our lives. Unfair treatment, painful things, persecution, just harsh, cruel, rotten things done to us. And Genesis 50 says what God intends or what the world and people intends for evil, God takes it and he turns it for the good and he uses it. And he can do it in your life. Even if you're experiencing something toxic or painful, or maybe you have, you can look in hindsight and say, you know what, man, that hurt, it was wrong, it was painful, it was toxic, but wow, amazing. God, it's like he mixes the elements like a master chemist and he makes something productive come out of it. He makes something better. And and, and out of the pain and the problem, God makes something wonderful and pleasurable and he prospers his work and he does something more glorious as a result. And as followers of Jesus today, even as those early disciples experienced persecution listen let me be honest we should expect the same on the horizon and only to intensify as the latter days of our times draw closer even as there will one day be a literal antichrist himself as a figure I tell you this first John tells us this and I tell you this look around our world the spirit of antichrist is already presently in operation among us it will be personified in a person someday But the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. There is a growing animosity towards believers in Jesus Christ. There is a growing animosity in our culture towards those who are genuine followers of Jesus as we are now being perceived like those early disciples by religious groups and civil groups and, and the government as being problematic in our culture because of what we believe in and because of what we represent and what we stand for. In many ways, we are being seen as problematic, as the, the reason for struggles and problems in society. Second Timothy 3 tells us, in the last days, perilous times will come. And one of the things mentioned, it says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Yet Jesus says, listen, don't get angry and react angrily. Respond wisely. In tough times, look for opportunities to share Jesus. Take Jesus at his word and believe that he can use it as a platform to testify about him and others. When you endure misfortune, hardship, mistreatment problems, again, recognize you're getting at times put before people and the limelight and the spotlight is on you and you have a chance to talk to people that maybe you never would have had the chance to talk to. You know, I know people, maybe you know health issues, and, and, and it's almost as if God allows sickness and suffering in their life to be a platform to witness to doctors and nurses and, and people that they may not ever be put before unless they were in that sickness. And yet it becomes a platform to testify about Jesus because that doctor or that nurse sees something different in that patient than they see in most of the other hundreds of patients that come through their door. God is a way of doing this. And Jesus says, Look, persecution's coming. It's an opportunity to testify. Don't worry, something good will come out of it. But he says, verse 13 or verse 14, Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you, he says, a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. So Jesus says, You're going to be persecuted, brought before kings and authorities. You're going to be on trial for your representation of Jesus, he tells the disciples. And their minds are going, oh my goodness, well then maybe we should go out and find some Christian attorneys and get some defense speeches ready and so we can really make sure that we... And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't have to prepare speeches or defense statements. You don't have to be alarmed. You don't have to be worried. Yes, difficult days are ahead. But Jesus tells the disciples not to live fearfully or anxious or stressed out over these things day by day, even though they are on the horizon. Why? I'll tell you one reason why. Because to Jesus, a stressed out and anxious believer is a poor testimony. Will we go through hardships? Yes. But if we are truly people who say we trust in a living God, and we say we have a Bible that says God gives us peace that passes understanding and the lord will take and, and we talk about this powerful glorious god and yet then when we go through hardships or trials or we're facing hardships and trials we're stressed out anxious and overwhelmed and we it really becomes a contradictory representation of the lord to people who are around us so jesus says listen difficulties are going to come but he says but let your heart be settled Be settled about it. Yes, difficulties are going to come, but you don't have to meditate, he says, and think through beforehand what you're going to answer. Verse 15, he says, listen, I'll give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries, they won't be able to contradict or resist. He assures the disciples, he in the present hour that they need it would give them the exact words to say when they're being challenged and when they're being assaulted and being attacked, that he, by his spirit, would give wisdom to know exactly what words to speak. And again, we see that unfold repeatedly in the book of Acts. When Stephen was being assaulted verbally, Acts chapter 6.10 regarding Stephen says they were not able, when Stephen spoke, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Jesus fulfilled his promise, as he will in our lives today, because he hasn't changed. And what a great assurance for us this morning, even as followers of Jesus, as his disciples, to know whatever difficulties we endure, and we will. We all will share difficulties. We all will experience hardships and challenging times, whether it's just trials that we go through. Again, First Peter says, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that you go through, as if some strange thing happened to you. But isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit tells us that because when I go through anything, if I stub my toe... I just, something strange, what's wrong, God? Yeah, don't you love me? And and when we go through a difficult time, our mind and the devil assaults us with these thoughts. We think something's wrong because we're going through a hardship and we're going through a difficulty as if somehow that's not even a part of just our regular everyday world. But yet to add on to that, Jesus says as a result of being a follower, you are going to become a greater target for difficulties and problems and persecutions. And anti-Christian attitudes launch towards you. But Jesus says, as you go through difficulties, I will stand with you. And I'll speak things to you. And I'll give you things to speak when you need to share and to say things to those in relation. His living presence empowers us supernaturally in the most difficult hours. He stands with us like a good and a loving shepherd. And he doesn't abandon us, but he enables us and he empowers us by his spirit and and gives us the words to speak the exact thing to say at the right hour in the right way with whatever we're facing. How wonderful that the Lord stands with us in hardships. Maybe you face the unexpected or you're thrust into something that you never planned on having to deal with. And, and, And what does Jesus do? You've experienced it if you're a Christian. You know it before. All of a sudden... These you know, verses come to your mind or the Holy Spirit gives you exactly what you need to say to some person who's being antagonistic or, or some situation you're facing. And the Holy Spirit, by Jesus' ministry, gives to you exactly what you need and the Lord comes to your aid, comes to your defense and He helps you to know what to say, how to deal with things. And it's just a wonderful ministry of our Lord who's a good shepherd. Verse 16, He then goes on to say, "...and you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers." relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. So Jesus, again, forewarns the disciples that even some of their closest emotional relationships will end in painful betrayal. He says, your immediate members of your family, your close friends, they'll turn on you. They will forsake you, Jesus says because of my namesake, for no other reason than your relationship with me and that there's a spiritual warfare that is taking place, Jesus says here, even your immediate family members, your closest friends, they will even go so far, Jesus says, to put some of you to death. Now again, we read that and it almost seems hard for us to imagine that, a reality of somebody putting somebody to death. But again, again, in lots of other cultures, if I can take you outside of the United States of America, that's a literal reality today. People who turn to follow Jesus Christ and leave their tribal faith or leave you know, Islam, or, or and, and people literally today are being put to death for their choice to follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus says this is a literal reality. Parents, siblings, friends can have such animosity towards Jesus and Christianity that they would honestly go so far as to destroy the life of someone they should care about the most simply for one reason why they want to silence the voice of truth and the light that Jesus represents that somebody would go that far again for us this morning I think Jesus is forewarning us in honesty that we may be listen we may be bitterly betrayed You may be harshly treated and you may be cruelly uh, hurt by those who are your closest human relationships. Your spouse, your father, your mother, your son, your daughter, your closest friends. Those who are closest to you emotionally may very well be those who wound you the deepest. For your choice to follow Jesus and your decision to walk closely with him. Perhaps you're here this morning, some of you, and you have experienced that reality. That painful process of being deeply wounded by those closest to you in your natural relations because you want to follow Jesus. And your love for Jesus brings the assaults and the pain, the betrayal and mistreatment. Jesus said such would happen and it doesn't matter what generation. It tells us in Micah chapter 7, a man's enemies are the men of his own household. He says, therefore, I will look to the Lord and wait for the God of my salvation and my God will hear me. Jesus says even the closest relationships can become bitter, painful betrayals. In verse 17, it's almost as if he goes another level. He says, and you will be hated by all for my namesake. Again, Jesus shares hard to swallow realities But he's conveying the truth to his disciples, contrary to what they probably wanted to hear, and we would too. He says, listen, I can't tell you what you want to hear. I have to tell you what you need to hear. And that is, he says, you will be hated by all for my namesake. Oftentimes, following Jesus will bring challenges into your life. Being a disciple of the Lord will bring at times severe disapproval and harsh mistreatment. Jesus said in John 15, "If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you." And Jesus said, "A servant's not above his master. They hated me. they will hate you." Well, that sounds encouraging, doesn't it? But Jesus says, "I can't tell you what you want to hear. I have to tell you what you need to hear because that's what love does it speaks the truth and Jesus says this will be a reality Acts chapter 5 it says they were beaten because of preaching Jesus and it goes so far to say and they rejoice that they were worthy to suffer for his name's sake. God help me to be able to do that someday praise the Lord somebody just really treated me mean I'm so thankful it says they did that because they just realize this is this is part of the Christian walk. You know, this shows me something, again, that as a disciple of Jesus, we must realize and we must accept that part of our walk with the Lord and our commitment to Jesus Christ is being willing to accept mistreatment for our faith, harsh judgment, Severe and unkind things being done to us, that following Jesus will bring challenges, it will bring problems, it will bring difficulties into your life. I bet if you're not a Christian, you can't wait to get saved this morning. <laughs> right? But see, that's the truth. Christianity is not, oh, follow Jesus and you'll get rich and everything will be wonderful. When I started following Jesus, things that my life got more challenging. Lots of dimensions of my life became wonderful. I had peace inside. And I wasn't in bondage to drugs and alcohol and promiscuity and all kinds of foolish and stupid things that I was doing. And I have a freedom internally, but I'll take peace internally in the forgiveness of my sins and the hope of eternal life over everybody liking me in the world any day. Because see, to follow Jesus is not for people who have to be popular. If you need the acceptance of people in your life and you need to be popular, you're going to struggle following Jesus. It's just the reality. You're going to struggle coming to Jesus and if that's your struggle, you're going to struggle faithfully following Jesus. Jesus says such things will happen. Philippians 1.29 says, It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his namesake. This is what Jesus is referring to and then instructing in relation to that. He says, verse 18, But not a hair of your head shall be lost, And by your patience, possess your souls. So the disciples were going to go through difficult days ahead and severe persecution in the decades in front of them, but Jesus assures them now in verse 18 and 19 here that despite what they have to endure, that they were secure eternally and that they had a hope that was beyond this world that nobody could snatch away that was a way more valuable possession. Jesus had the power to preserve them to preserve them and to keep them so they didn't have to fear about loss. That's what he means when he says, not a hair of your head shall be lost. It's an idiomatic way of Jesus just saying, listen, ultimately they really cannot do you any harm. Even if they put you to death, you really will not suffer any loss ultimately. Jesus said, don't be afraid of who can kill the body. Be afraid of who can destroy the soul and cast it into hell, Jesus said. And Jesus said, even if they put you to death, you'll experience resurrection. Your hope is eternal. You really can't lose anything. Not even a hair of your head, Jesus says. They can't take anything away from you. His encouragement, verse 19, he says, is by your patience, possess your soul. Again, he's talking about the soul. Again, the soul is that immaterial part of us. The soul is not what is physical. It's, it's what's the inner man. It's the part of us that's eternal and lasting. Many times the word soul is used in the Bible to refer to one's mind or conscience, their will and their emotions. Sometimes it's even used interchangeably with our spirit. Again, the eternal part of us. The part of us that's not physical, but the part that will last forever, your inner person. And Jesus is telling a suffering believer how to be sustained during great trial and pain and difficulty. How to be sustained, he says, by your patience, possess, uphold, he says, your soul. That word patient there in the Greek literally means to stay under or to bear up and remain steadfast while being under pressure. To bear up, to bear up under pressure while you're under pressure. To remain faithful and not to crumble or to run off even when the heat and the heavy weight of pressure is upon you. Jesus says, listen, when you're dealing with adversity, there's a part of the Christian life where you have to resolve in faith to remain patient and to bear up under it gracefully and to trust the Lord and to look to Him for the strength and the help and the assistance that you need and to bear up gracefully waiting on him Psalm 37 says rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him and Jesus says by doing this you'll possess your soul in other words by doing this Jesus says you'll retain control of your soul internally you won't fall apart at the seams internally you'll be able to maintain your mind and will and feelings and if we don't in hard times if we don't learn how to remain and to bear up under it under pressures and stay steadfast and keep our eyes on the Lord if we don't do that the exact opposite will happen we will begin to unravel we'll begin to go through difficulties and we'll get anxious and angry or depressed and you'll lose sight of the Lord and then you'll start to react in unhealthy ways to the hardships that you're going through and you'll find yourself instead losing your mind or getting stressed out or anxious or depressed and struggling spiritually and mentally and emotionally in every way. And Jesus says, that's not my intention. I want you to have peace. Isaiah 26 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Jesus says, the focus. You got to keep your mind on God. And he says, but if you keep your mind on God, God will keep you in perfect peace so that your soul and the inward man doesn't unravel in the process. Jesus then in verse 20 through 24 speaks directly of this temple destruction. He says, But when you see Jerusalem, notice, surrounded by armies, so he's now discussing the fall of the temple, then know that its desolation is near. And let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So again, Jesus gives a clear indication here, once again, of the destruction of Jerusalem and the corresponding instruction of what the disciples should do when the destruction of Jerusalem begins to happen. Now, Jesus says, first of all, verse 20, there's coming a time when you're going to see Jerusalem surrounded militarily by armies all around the entire city. And he says, and when you see that, that's the indication the city is about to fall. When you see the forces surrounding the city. Now Jesus spoke of this multiple times now. He mentioned it back in Luke chapter 19 at his triumphal entry. When he was coming in and he began to weep over the city. And Luke 19 verse 41 to 44. Jesus says he says, the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment around you. Surround you and close you in on every side. And level you and your children within you. And not leave one stone upon another. He spoke of it there. He spoke of it back in Luke chapter uh, 21, verse 6, how the temple would be dismantled, not one stone left upon another. And now for the third time, Jesus speaks of the coming destruction of Jerusalem because they had rejected the visitation of God in their lives. So Jesus is informing them, listen, this time is going to come. And what he's speaking of is exactly what happened just 40 years later in 70 AD. When Titus Vespasian ruler and leader of the Roman contingent in that day came in and laid siege to the city of Jerusalem for five months before he ultimately then overtook and destroyed and burnt and leveled the city of Jerusalem and the temple itself. And notice Jesus instructs when you see the city surrounded he says however verse 22 he says or verse 21 when you see those things he says don't run back into the city for safety. When you see the city surrounded Things are over. But he says, don't do the natural thing, because typically in that day when a city was attacked, the natural response of man was to run into the city. It had walls for protection and safety. Jesus tells the disciples, listen, when you see the city surrounded, do the opposite. Don't run into the city. Get out of the city, because everything is going to be destroyed as the time of vengeance comes upon it. Instead, he says, flee and depart so that you'll be spared and so that you won't be taken away captive. He says, verse 23, And woe to those who are pregnant and nursing babies in those days, again, those vulnerable, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword, death, and be led away captive into all nations. Again, conditions became horrible in 70 A.D. when Titus took over the city of Jerusalem. There was starvation And there was sickness inside of the city, cannibalism. Ultimately, the Romans came in and upwards to over to one million Jews died in that simple invasion and time of siege alone. And Jesus says such times are coming when the city will be burnt and leveled and the temple and the Roman forces, those who aren't dead or killed, will lead multitudes of others away captive and displace them in all types of other nations. That is exactly what took place. And Jesus says, verse 24, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are Fulfilled. Interesting little statement of Jesus, a little prophetic nugget there. The times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles. It refers to basically a season historically when Gentile people would be in control of the city of Jerusalem, which is what? God's eternal centerpiece for the puzzle of all eternal things that God ultimately will do. And there's a set period, Jesus says, that must be fulfilled, the times of the Gentiles, when the, the, the city of Jerusalem is under the control of Gentile people, at which the end of the times of the Gentiles, it will initiate what the Bible calls the 70th week of Daniel. That last seven-year period called the tribulation or the time when God will uniquely also begin to work specifically again among the nation of Israel. Now, the reality is Jerusalem has been under the control of the Gentile nations and Gentile people really since 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar first conquered it and pushed out the Jews then. And when you look throughout the centuries, many different Gentile nations have trampled and controlled Jerusalem. The Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Arabs, the Turks, the British, even the UN. Yet, in 1967, a major shift happened. A major shift historically and spiritually when the Jews in 1967 regained control of Jerusalem. Now. The Temple Mount itself in Jerusalem is still under Gentile control, if we're honest, yet it seems that we have entered a window that is very critical. As there's just one small section of Jerusalem left that's not under the control of the Gentiles, which seems to me to be an indication the time clock is ticking and running off. I don't believe we're quite at the end of the times of the Gentiles, but we are extremely, extremely close. And this is an integral part which launches a new day on the horizon. Now, what's interesting is Jesus told the disciples what? When you see the city surrounded, when you see the city surrounded, the wrath of judgment is falling upon that city. And he said, when you see that happen, flee and depart historically we know that's exactly what many of the disciples and Christians did they took the word of Jesus at face value and as a result when they saw the city surrounded they fleed and they did not lose their lives and they did not enter into captivity why? because they believed and obeyed the word of Jesus those who didn't stood in the city and experienced death and the wrath of judgment upon them how fitting is that As we consider those who believed and obeyed Jesus escaped, those who did not believe Jesus and his word found themselves under the judgment that came. That is so fitting because our world is scheduled for judgment. And those who believe the word of Jesus, he's told us the way of escape. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And he said, God didn't send a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's what we celebrate in communion. We celebrate that Jesus suffered for us so that we can escape the wrath of sin and judgment that really is due to us because it's through Jesus that we're delivered from the wrath to come. Shall we bow our heads and pray and we'll turn our hearts back in song to the Lord as we prepare to celebrate communion father thank you for your word and for how it speaks into our lives and lord we ask that by your holy spirit you would help the things that we've learned to speak to us in deeper ways and that lord it in this very hour be an opportunity where we might appreciate again jesus what you've done for us That though we may suffer some in this life, that we don't have to suffer eternally. Thank you for taking the wrath of God away from us by our simple faith in what you have done for us upon the cross of Calvary. Lord, lead us as we celebrate communion, we ask. We pray you'd bless the remainder of our time and worship together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.